Welcome to the Academy of Neurologic Communication Disorders and Sciences podcast. My name is Michael Beal. I'm a speech-language pathologist and assistant professor at California State University, Northridge. In this episode, I talk to Dr. Julius Fridrichsen about the use of transcranial direct current stimulation in the treatment of persons with aphasia. Dr. Fridrichsen is a professor in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the University of South Carolina. In addition to his research on transcranial direct current stimulation, also known as TDCS, Dr. Fridrichsen's research is focused on the neurophysiology of aphasia recovery and speech and language processing in normal adults. To start off our conversation, I asked Dr. Fridrickson to describe what TDCS is. So TDCS is, um, relies on very low current stimulation of the cortex. It's a very simple technology. It um, induces current that supposedly penetrates the scalp and enters the cortex. Um, it has two electrodes, an anode electrode and a cathode electrode, and everybody can recognize that on their standard battery. And as a matter of fact, most of the stimulators that we use only rely on a 9-volt battery to induce the current. The current itself is usually 1 to 2 milliamps, and um, the current usually stays on for about somewhere between 10 to 20 minutes for treatment of patients. Um, yeah, the technology itself, I would have to say, is very simple, but it's potent. Uh, apparently, it is a simple technology. I don't know if you've seen some of these videos on YouTube of young men with uh, nine volt batteries attached to wet sponges on their heads. Um, what's your take on this apparent burgeoning interest uh, and application of brain stimulation for the general public? So I would have to say I'm not very keen on that kind of stuff. So we get quite a bit of emails these days because we've done some studies with TDCS um, as a treatment for aphasia. And so we we get contacted by people who want to use this, not just to treat something like aphasia, but also to try to just enhance things like normal cognition. Mm. And we know so little about the effects of this technology and I would certainly stay away from it. I wouldn't do it with my patients, for example, until we have more definitive answers about how it works and if there are any side effects that might be negative. But we're moving into uh, what seems like an interesting situation here where we have this technology that holds some promise. It's relatively inexpensive. And as a matter of fact, I believe any consumer can purchase some kind of TDCS device. A speech pathologist can buy such a device. Um, how easy do you think it's going to be for speech pathologists to, to tell their patients to wait if, if they start getting more questions about using such an approach? Yeah, that's an ethical question. I don't know. When you're dealing with patients and, and a lot, certainly when you're dealing with aphasia, um, 
for somebody who has a chronic condition and even when small studies have shown that it can perhaps help given that there aren't any negative effects that we certainly have identified i could understand why somebody would want to use it but i as a both a scientist and a clinician would want to know more before i can start recommending it to me to people now for me personally perhaps for a loved one i wouldn't be so adverse to maybe trying it but to the general population i would say let's wait let's do the larger studies and better understand whether the effect is really there and if it is yeah then we should apply it in our um, clinical management but for now i think that caution is certainly warranted i assume you've tried it on myself yeah yes what's it feel like um you get a little bit of tingling on the scalp where under the electrodes um it certainly isn't painful but um it might you might get a little bit of redness on the skin and that's about it now we are completing a clinical trial with tdcs in aphasia and the goal is to enroll 74 patients we're done with 41 now and at this time we've seen very minimal side effects maybe a little bit of headache every now and then a little bit of redness on the skin uh, a couple of patients experienced some dizziness we don't know whether that was associated with the tdcs or not but i would have to say side effects seem to be very minimal now we monitor our patients really well they're seen by a neurologist every week and the speech pathologists that run our clinic they certainly monitor the patients very well now i don't know if there are any long-term effects and we certainly do see these people one month and six months after treatment we have not noticed anything adverse but you never know do you exclude any subjects with certain medical conditions yeah we do exclude people who have had a seizure within the last year before they get enrolled in the treatment now there's no evidence to suggest that tdcs could ever induce a seizure so if you consider it it's a constant current it certainly is not what you would see in a seizure where you would be more probably susceptible to something like alternating current to induce a seizure but we chose to be very careful in our trial. So therefore we screen out people who've had a seizure recently. Can you talk a little bit about the role of the anode and the cathode electrode during TDCS? Absolutely. So under the anode, there's a lot of studies that have shown this. Um, under the anode electrode, you get excitatory effects. The TDCS itself does not directly cause neural firing, but what it, what it does is that it seems to lower the threshold for firing. So if you're already getting activation in a given area, under the anode electrode, you just increase that excitability. You get the opposite effect under the cathode electrode, where instead of getting excitatory stimulation, you get inhibitory stimulation. And most of these effects have been shown through uh, motor work. So stimulation on the motor cortex, where you can measure the output 
and for instance looking at motor evoke potentials it's very clear that anode elect electrical stimulation leads to excitatory effects and cathode has inhibitory effects so since tdcs is lowering the the threshold for whether or not an action potential will fire and not triggering an action potential can you use tdcs as a treatment without a behavioral intervention a behavioral intervention that is causing certain areas of the brain to fire yeah that's a great question so i would i would back up a little bit what i said yeah. earlier we think that we understand some of the mechanism of tdcs we know that it changes motor evoke potentials but exactly sort of the absolutely down to the basics of the effects we don't completely understand it so that's that's number one now there are studies where people have tried to do stimulation without aphasia therapy what i have reviewed because i haven't done those studies myself that does not seem to work it only seems to work if you have the behavioral stimulation so we can rest assured as speech language pathologists tdcs is not going to take our job ever it can probably just supplement it uh how local is the stimulation during TDCS? Yeah, that's, a, that's another good question. It depends a lot on the size of the electrodes that you use. Um, the electrodes we use are simply sponges that are hooked up to wires and we soak them in saline. These are large sponges, about five by five centimeters. So the amount of cortex that you get that gets stimulated under the electrodes is quite large. Now, initially, I thought maybe that's not so good. We're getting a lot of cortex, but the more studies that we've looked at with more targeted stimulation, I actually think that getting more of the cortex is better than not. We have actually compared larger electrodes to smaller electrodes, and we basically did not get a statistically significant effect comparing the two methods. There are also some people that have used high definition TDCS, although I think that might be promising, but they haven't, as far as I've seen, have not shown the same effects, for example, in normal subjects as the more conventional TDCS. So high definition TDCS is when you have very small electrodes and you can control more precisely where the stimulation is occurring? Yes. It looks very good if you model where the current is going in the brain. It seems to be very focal, but I would say that that research is much more, well, much less developed. I think we need to do far more research to better understand sort of the perimeters of the stimulation. But right now for rehabilitation, I would go with larger sponges, understanding that perhaps down the road, we will better understand how we can target our stimulation a little bit better and hopefully make this a little bit more potent. I suppose if you're stimulating a decent area of cortex, you're stimulating neurons that are responsible for other functions than the, the focus of treatment. Is it the, the behavioral component of the intervention that is somehow focusing the TDCS effects? No, I don't think so. I think that uh well i guess so yeah so 
you're getting the effect because of the behavioral treatment. Mm. The way that I like to think about this is sort of like plowing the field for the harvest. That's what the TVCS does. It sort of maybe changes the brain so that it's more likely to take on plastic changes mm. that are associated with the behavioral treatment. We haven't talked about the kind of results you're seeing um, in the studies where you're using TDCS. Could you kind of summarize those for us? Yeah, so we started this back in probably 2008 with our first study, which was published in then 2010, another one in 2011. Those were really our pilot studies. And what they seem to show is that uh, anodal TDCS of the left hemisphere uh, gives you superior results compared to a placebo stimulation. So in both, we had a, a anodal phase and a placebo phase, and you get greater effect of treatment during the anodal stimulation. Now, this led to the current trial that we're working on, this clinical trial. Unfortunately, because it's a randomized controlled trial, we're going to have to wait another two and a half years before we get the final results. I honestly don't know if we're getting an extra effect with the TDCS. The only people that know how we're doing is our data safety monitoring board. At least they haven't shut us down at this point. We've been doing this for two and a half years, but we've got to wait a little, a little bit longer. What are you hearing uh, from the participants in your studies? What are their subjective experiences and reports so far? Yeah, so we have some of them certainly report that they seem to be doing way better. And we hear from the family members that they've never, they've, they are now doing things that they couldn't do before, but it could very well be the case that this is just the effect of the behavioral treatment. But I'm hesitant to speculate at this point. Sure, My fingers are sure. crossed for a very long time. Well, on a related note, it seems that in speech pathology, we really don't have practices, uh, treatments that are aimed at complementing our behavioral interventions. Um, for example, drug treatments. There's a small body of literature out there on drug treatments for aphasia. It's been out there for a while. It's mixed results, but there's some positive findings out there, I think. But they haven't made their way into practice, even though they've been out there for some time. No, the effects have been very small. I think the problems with drug treatments is that if you had use something like a stimulant, you probably don't want to stimulate the whole brain mm -hmm. to make it more susceptible for brain plasticity. I think you want to target where the increase and the decrease in activation is happening. And I think that's something that brain stimulation could provide. But the other issue that we're going to have to deal with is how much of an effect are we going to accept? as something that would make this worthwhile. Yeah, I was uh, listening to a lecture on YouTube given by a cognitive neuroscientist talking about TDCS, and he was kind of denigrating the notion that um, the effects for TDCS seem to be small or maybe small. Um, he mentioned just 5%. And 
as a clinician, I was thinking that um, I would welcome any percentage of improvement, particularly if there wasn't really any kind of additional cost. Um, for people with aphasia, a 5% additional improvement, uh, particularly if it accumulates over time, I think is potentially meaningful. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you're comparing, if you're looking at college students who are doing this in a highly controlled environment, where maybe the behavior that is being targeted is not that perhaps important, but then you compare that to our patients, mm. where like you said, if you could increase the effectiveness of treatment over a year by five to 10%, I would think that most people would say, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do that. I think that's something I would wanna be engaged in. What? led you to become interested in TDCS and to want to study its effects during treatment? Right. So Mark George is a psychiatrist at the Medical University of South Carolina. He's done a lot of the groundbreaking work with brain stimulation. And I had gotten to know him a while ago. And I remember I was visiting him uh, down in Charleston where the Medical University of South Carolina is. And he showed me a couple of papers and he said, you know, I think this might be something that could work in aphasia. And, and I brought it back to my lab and we kind of just took it and ran with it. So that's kind of got me into it. And I, I've, I've been interested in it ever since. We were doing TMS studies at that time, but then that's how we got into TDCS. Could you describe a little bit about what TMS is? Sure, sure. So it's very different. So TMS, as opposed to TDCS, actually causes neural firing. So it's usually induced by, the, the way that you do it, you have a magnetic field that you induce. It reaches about three to five centimeters and you can induce actual cortical firing by putting a TMS device on the scalp. So you could, for example, put it on the hand area of the motor cortex start the stimulating pulses and you'll see your hand literally move mm. it causes twitches in your arm um, tdcs doesn't do anything like that mm. it might be might make you quicker in moving your arm if you put tdcs stimulation on the cortex but tms causes neural firing tdcs only enhances the potential for firing does that mean that TMS is potentially a more effective treatment than TCDS? No, I don't think so. I mean, TMS certainly has been shown in different studies to enhance the treatment effect in aphasia treatment studies. The reason why I did not like it, and this is my personal experience, nothing against the research that has been done. There's some wonderful work that people have done with TMS. I personally find it to be painful. Mm. I don't very much like it on my scalp. I remember the when we did our first TMS study, um, I had a headache that lasted for about four hours after having done it on myself. So I thought, I'm not so sure I want to do this. And the, the people that come to me are seeking treatment. But maybe, I don't know, maybe we're just stimulating in the wrong area of my scalp, but I didn't find it to be very pleasant. And I like the ease of use of the TDCS if we are going to apply it as clinicians, it's highly portable. It, the equipment itself weighs almost nothing. 
I think that if it's shown to work, we as speech pathologists, um, I think we could acquire this technology very quickly. TMS, on the other hand, is very expensive. Our TMS setup at, at my lab is about $150,000. The TDCS setup is about 400 bucks. Uh, one of the things you've been very careful to do in your TDCS studies is to map out the lesion of your uh, subjects using MRI, structural MRI. If TDC, TDCS becomes a treatment modality for speech pathologists in the future, will clinicians have to do a similar kind of mapping before they apply TDCS to their patients? Yeah, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this one. So the problem is this. So if you're trying to treat stroke, the person might have a large lesion in their cortex. Um, putting the electrode directly over the lesion is not gonna work. It's sort of like taking an electrode and sticking it in a glass of water. The current just dissipates. So the first thing you wanna do is to make sure that you're not stimulating over the lesion. And that's why we do the structural MRI. The other thing is that we think that improved language processing, certainly improved naming or picture naming in patients uh, is associated with recruitment of the left hemisphere. That doesn't mean that all treatment in aphasia is associated with left hemisphere changes, but at least what we have seen with naming, it seems to that its improvement relies on increased activity in the left hemisphere. Therefore, we think that we want to stimulate residual cortex in the left hemisphere that is already involved in language processing. And that's why we do the functional MRI, because thereby we can pinpoint the cortex that is doing speech production. Now, if a clinician wants to use this in the future, it's going to be a major hindrance to try to figure out where the lesion is and maybe if it's shown to be important, where we should target with regards to brain activation. So one of the things that we're working on right now is to work on sort of lesion symptom mapping. Now there's a lot of studies that do lesion symptom mapping, simply trying to understand in a large group of patients, um, where is the damage that causes an impairment of, I don't know, processing of nouns versus verbs, all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of these studies out there. What we are trying to do is to do this in reverse. So to do symptom lesion mapping. So in a large group of patients, what we would like to do is to say, if you give these tests, we can then take those test scores, input them into an algorithm, and that algorithm will then try to predict where the lesion is in the brain. I think we need something like this if TDCS is ever going to work. Because for a clinician, let's say at Health South or some kind of a rehab hospital or, or a subacute nursing facility, getting the MRI is going to be a major hindrance. It's so expensive. Yeah. And nobody certainly does fMRI for clinical purposes, certainly not in stroke. So I think that we need to work on this sort of symptom lesion approach, mapping approach, because I think that's something that we can use in the future if this is shown to be effective. So in the future, if TDCS is available for clinicians, but 
they don't have either access to um, imaging that would allow them to map out the lesion or the algorithm that you're working on, the lesion symptom algorithm is not available. If they were to do a trial of TDCS, are there any early behavioral indicators when you're using this type of brain stimulation that might give you a, a hint at least that your your electrodes are in the right place? It's too subtle. I think you could do it with TMS certainly because it causes direct neural firing. I think the amount of treatment that you would have to do and to try to understand whether the lesion is there or not, it would just take too long. Yeah. Certainly most HMOs would have given up a long time ago. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, in general, what's what's grabbing your attention these days? What are your what interests are you following? Um, I think that the brain stimulation, sort of as a whole, the different approaches to brain stimulation, I think it's very exciting. But at the same time, I think that trying to understand the brain a little bit better can also give us insights into treatment. So a lot of, I do a lot of research in normal subjects with regards to speech and language processing, but almost all of it is done with the purpose of trying to understand whether we can improve treatment of patients. So most people study patients because they want to understand normal function, I sort of go in reverse. I would say that there are different behavioral approaches that I think are promising and perhaps if TDCS is shown to be effective, we can couple those treatment approaches with that. But I would say, let's not give up on the development of the behavioral approaches because maybe things like brain stimulation may seem promising. We still need more development in the kinds of treatments that we do. You've spent a fair amount of your career trying to understand the relationship between uh, language processing and the underlying neuroanatomy. How important do you think it is for the practicing speech pathologist to have a fairly sophisticated understanding of neuroanatomy and the relationship between anatomy and function? Yeah, I would say that since I got my master's degree, which was a long time ago, and um, and today, there certainly have been made, I would consider them major advances in trying in understanding how language and speech are mapped in the brain. We certainly didn't talk about things like the dual stream model, sort of right. the dorsal and the ventral streams in the brain. Um, I think that under, understanding the divisions between speech and language is important because I, I think that it allows you to target your treatment but perhaps a little bit more understanding what the mechanisms are that support speech as opposed to language. And I think that the studies that have been done on the sort of the neural mechanisms of the two streams, I think those have implications, not just for diagnostics, but also for treatment. Right. We're working on a treatment study right now we're actually trying to divide patients into groups based on involvement of the dorsal and the ventral streams and trying to model our treatments based on the mechanisms that we know are supported by the dorsal and ventral streams. 
and so far we've seen very promising results. What do your treatments look like for each of these streams? Can you talk about that? Okay. Uh, I may be uh, mm. potential reviewers of our article that we're <laughs> listening, but I would say that um, we did not make new treatment approaches. We simply looked at what are the standard approaches that we know that have been used for aphasia treatment. And we divided them into two groups. So treatments that focused more on the dorsal stream and treatments that focused more on the ventral stream. We sort of stayed away from treatments that are very sort of work on both levels. And then we had our ventral treatments and dorsal treatments, and we treated patients with primarily damage to the dorsal versus primarily damage to the ventral. And what we found, this is very preliminary, is that treatments that focus on dorsal stream mechanisms are far more effective for patients that have dorsal damage. It wasn't as definitive for the ventral patients, but they seem to benefit more from the ventral um, stream approaches compared to the dorsal stream. So what kind of processing is happening in the dorsal and ventral streams? So dorsal stream, more um, synchrony between auditory information and speech production, so articulatory phonological processing, ventral stream, more lexical semantic processing. Um, but I think that the interaction between the different mechanisms is something that perhaps we didn't think about as much before, before the advent of the, the dual stream model. And we sort of tried to focus our treatment a little bit more on the interactions of those processes. Well, this has been uh, really interesting. Um, before we wrap up here, I'd just like to ask you more of a personal question. Uh, how did you get interested in speech pathology? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm originally from Iceland and I thought I was going to go into something like business, but uh, I found very quickly that I found that to be a fairly boring topic and I knew that I wanted to work something with people. And at the time, um, I have a relative who is an ear, nose and throat doctor and he was telling me we really need speech pathologists in Iceland. And I went and shadowed a couple of speech pathologists at a, at a hospital in the capital there. And I thought, this is excellent. I think I could do well with this. So I left for the United States to get my uh, degree because we didn't have a program in Iceland at the time and pretty much fell in love with it. I think it's, for me, it's been a perfect match. Dr. Fredrickson, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to the results of your TDCS study that's running right now and the other projects you've described. Again, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for talking to me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the ANCDS podcast. To learn more about the Academy of Neurologic Communication Disorders and Sciences, please visit www.ancds.org dot o-r-g